Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. This morning we're talking about the armor of God. The armor of God. Now many of you may have heard lots of messages about the armor of God. This may take a little different, bit of a different turn than what you're used to. Um, not because I think all of those teachings are wrong. I do think sometimes when you hear teachings of the armor of God, they're well-intentioned, uh, um, but not always accurate depictions of exactly what the armor of God is and, and how it works. And Some of it is just your own misinterpretation. For me, it's been my own. I read it one way, and I always thought one way, and then I went back and studied it again and was like, that was totally wrong. How did I do that? Even I can do that sometimes, you know what I mean? Actually, a lot. Is you, my understanding of Scripture is often based on the VeggieTales version of it. Because I have young kids, and VeggieTales is great. I'm not saying they're theologically wrong. But I realize a lot of what I think I know about a Bible verse is what I heard preached or heard taught rather than my own study and what the Lord had revealed to me. And so it's good to go back and look at things afresh, things that you think you knew to go back and look at them again and let the Holy Spirit illuminate to you, not reinterpret necessarily, but maybe illuminate the thing that He's got for you today, right now. And so that's kind of what I want to take you guys through. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, uh, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep an eye, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it to you fearlessly as I should. Now, a few weeks ago, I know it's been a while since I've preached, but a few weeks ago, I talked about fighting the right battles. Because so often we engage in battles that God never called us to fight. Or we engage in battles with the wrong weapons and fighting them the wrong way. Because I, I kind of explained a couple of weeks ago that there's kind of two battlefields that we fight. Ephesians 4 talks about the first one, and it talks about man's scheming. There's a way to fight against man's scheming. And the recipe for fighting against man's scheming is the fivefold ministry. It's apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. These are the gifts of Jesus to the church to resist man's scheming. So when people try to sucker you into something, they try to sell you a lemon spiritually, they try to convince you of something, it's those gifts that flow through the church, not just the people that have the gifts, but it's those gifts flowing through the church that'll save us from man's scheming. 
But here it talks about the devil's scheming. So the answer to man's scheming would be the fivefold ministry and the gifts associated with it. The answer against the devil's schemes is the armor of God. And these are the armor that we're going to talk about. We're not going to get into all of these this morning. But that's what God gives us to fight against the devil's schemes. How many of you encouraged to know that people are scheming against you? There's man's schemes and there's the devil's schemes. I hate it when man's schemes infiltrate the church. Sometimes man's schemes become business models for church growth. They're not necessarily bad. They're just not really what God's called us to do. And the world will try to convince you of what you need to fight the battles that it wants you to fight. You know, you can't have a church unless you got a good Instagram. You can't have a church if you don't raise money. You can't have a church if you don't have a building. Those are things that the world says the church needs in order to succeed. You can't have a church unless you comply with everything your government tells you to do. You can't have a church unless you're woke. You can't have a church unless you believe this and also believe that. You can't have a church if you have absolute truth because truth isn't absolute. That's the world trying to tell the church which battles to fight and the armor to put on. King David experienced this once. He wasn't king yet. But he had to fight against this giant called Goliath. I've been reading about giants this week. I've been stuck in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and I've just been there all week, and I'm, I'm learning and reading and studying about giants, which is funny because I have two of them living in my house right now, a 6'7 and a 6'2 son, sons who successfully completed the Murph Challenge a few weeks ago. I was impressed. I did it with them. The recovery powers of an 18- and 16-year-old boy are amazing. For an almost 50-year-old man, they're a lot slower. So they were ready to get up and do it again a couple days later, and I still needed a nap. But I've been studying about, not talking about giants, sorry, sidetrack. Stop that rabbit hole, rabbit trail. David, King David, went off to fight a battle against this giant named Goliath. And when he went out to fight this battle, remember, when he goes to fight Goliath, the entire army had been hiding in fear of this taunting giant. They weren't really fighting against him. They lived in fear. But somehow when David said, I'm going to go fight this giant that none of you have, all the people that weren't willing to go fight suddenly went, okay, David, here's what you need to go fight this giant. Saul goes, I've got the best armor we can find. And if you're going to go fight a giant, you better put on my armor because you're not going to be able to defeat him. And David's like, I'm already a scrawny, ruddy, weakest of my clan, ignored by my own father when the prophet comes to anoint the next king. None of you thought I had what it took to even be in the army. And now you're going to tell me what I need to go fight this battle that none of you are fighting. But it's what the world does. It tries to put Saul's armor on you. If you're going to succeed in whatever God's called you to do, here's the things that you need to have. But David knew, I don't need Saul's armor. I need God's armor. And all God has for me is a sling and five smooth stones. That's all I need. Why five? Because Goliath had four brothers. It's really cool. You'll read about it later. But David didn't defeat the four brothers. His men defeated the four brothers. I'm getting sidetracked again. Get back on track. I'm going to stay where I'm at. Don't let the world tell you which battles to fight. 
Don't let the world tell you which armor to put on to fight the wrong fight. Get the armor of God. Let God define for you the battles He's called you to fight. Let God define for you what you need to fight those battles. It may surprise you. There's some moments when God called somebody to go fight, and He said, see that army of 3,000? I want you to get rid of half of them. Half? We were already outnumbered. He goes, you get rid of half of them? Great. Do it again. Get rid of some more. Come on. I mean, how bad has this got to be? Just trust Him. Sometimes God will take things away from you just to show you that the battle was never yours to begin with. All he required was your obedience. The enemy was already defeated. You just got the privilege of cutting his head off. Don't let the enemy or the world define what you're supposed to stand for. I love social justice, but there's a lot of social justice issues that are not my battle to fight. They weren't Paul's either. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where Paul had this massive anti-slavery movement, but yet he never condoned it. Why is that? Why wasn't Paul saying how wrong slavery was? Because it wasn't Paul's battle to fight. Slavery was different then. It was more of an economic issue than a racial issue. But people will go, well, Paul promoted slavery. No, he didn't. He promoted the gospel. And he knows if I turn men's hearts towards God, then things like slavery won't exist in this world. Because you can't own a slave if you're a son of God and that's your brother. You can't have a racist heart if you understand that we're part of the same family of God. So the cure for that stuff was not to fight against the social injustice. It was to bring the gospel that makes us all part of the same family and co-heirs with Christ. doesn't mean that any of those things are wrong. It's just not my battle to fight. Am I making sense? Because it got really, really quiet just now. It might be your battle to fight. It might be something God's called you to fight. And I'll hold your hands up. It's not my battle. I know what God's called me to fight against. And I know the weapons that He's given me. Because the fight determines the weapon. The fight you're in is what actually determines the weapon. Don't let the world tell you how to fight. Don't let the world tell you where to fight. Don't let the world equip you for that fight. Because you'll either end up fighting the wrong battle or you'll fight with the wrong weapon. Now, the first one, and we talked about this a little bit, is he says to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, this belt of truth actually coincides with another piece of armor that we're going to talk about a little bit this morning. But you put on truth first. It's weird. I don't wake up and put on my belt first. That'd be kind of a weird thing to do. But for here, and you can picture David's writing, David, Paul is writing this letter likely under house arrest. And he's looking at the picture of strength in the physical of his world today, a Roman soldier. And he's describing spiritual weapons using a Roman soldier as an illustration because everybody knew what Roman soldiers looked like. And for them, that was the picture of the greatest strength of the, of the day in man's strength. And he's saying, here's what you see as strong. I'm going to give you a spiritual equivalent to that. Okay? So he's describing it. He says, put on the belt of truth. Do you know what the primary weapon of the enemy is in the life of a believer? Now, this is what I want you to remember. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to the church. 
He's writing to people who have already surrendered their heart to Jesus, who are full, potentially, of the Holy Spirit. That's who he's writing to. So if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your heart to him, these weapons will do you no good whatsoever because you're incapable of handling them. It first takes the surrender, what we led you through at the end of worship. But once you are saved, once you're redeemed, once you have Jesus living inside you, now you can start taking up some of these weapons. So in the life of a believer, and it plagues non-believers too, do you know the only weapon the enemy really has against you? is lies. It's trying to convince you that you are something or someone other than a son or a daughter. Because you already are, but if you don't believe you are, then you'll never step into what Emily prophesied, the authority that you actually have. You'll live life as a servant, but never as a son. You'll live life trying to earn the favor of God, not realizing that you already have it. Or you'll be like the older son in the story of the prodigal son, who lived in the house all that time, but never realized he could have thrown a party anytime he wanted. So the only real weapon the enemy has against you is lies. Because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. No weapon. There are weapons formed against you, but they won't prosper you. So if the enemy's primary weapon against us is lies, guess what our primary weapon or defense is against the lies of the enemy? Truth. Truth. Not a better lie. Not a more convincing argument. It's truth. So I want to get up in the morning and put on truth. I don't want to get up in the morning and try to figure out where I've been lied to. It's a funny thing about a believe lie. As soon as you believe it, not only do you empower it, but to you it's no longer a lie. Whatever you believe to you has become truth. It's not truth, but it's true to you. So it's hard to uncover lies if you believe them because you don't see it as a lie. Now here's what Jesus says in John chapter 8. You ready? Jesus said this. I want you to catch this. Now we know this scripture. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Skipping ahead. Read the whole verse. If you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is a prerequisite to knowing the truth and the truth setting you free. The truth does not set you free if you do not apply the truth that you know. When you hold to my teachings, I, I love this expression. It's a naval expression for all of you Navy guys. Hold fast. Hold fast. I got a friend of mine that's got it tattooed on his knuckles. Don't recommend knuckle tattoos, but I think that one's pretty cool. Hold fast. It means you hold on and you don't let go. If you hold fast, if you hold on to my teachings, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The problem is, I can't hold on to something that I don't know. Isn't, isn't that true? It doesn't mean that... Can you grab a... Can I borrow your Bible? Is that all right? Your Bible's cooler than mine. It doesn't mean that I'm literally holding my Bible. I have a friend. He's a chaplain. 
And he said his first encounter with someone who was possessed by a demon was another chaplain that came in, and he just kept taking the Bible and going, I, de devil, get out. And I'm like, okay, that's a method. But like the touching of pages with written words on them on, on somebody's head, there's actually no power in that. But when you understand that Jesus said, you will heal the lepers and cast out demons, and in my name they will do this, it's the application of the Word of God and my knowing of the Word of God and my holding fast to the teachings that has the power in the name of Jesus. It's not the physical book. I have another friend. They recently kind of rededicated their life, and they said, I'm throwing out all my old Bibles and getting a brand new, really good one. I was like, that's great if you read it and if you apply it. I like the terminology, if the Bible's falling apart, the life probably isn't. You know what I mean? If your Bible's falling apart, your life probably isn't. That means you're actually reading it and applying it kind of thing. So putting on the belt of truth isn't taking a physical Bible and belting it onto your belt and walking everywhere you go with your physical Bible. It's having the Word of God in you. It's reading it. And I hate to tell you, it requires a bit of study. Not just reading it and going, I have no idea what I read. Just study it. We'll help you with that. I, I'm really feeling more and more to begin helping you guys with learning how to read and study the Bible, to become a student of the Bible. Not a, it doesn't mean you, you have to know all of the Bible. Some people feel like it, it's so hard to get into because I feel like I should already know more and it keeps us from even starting. Just start. Just start reading it. It would be a great way to begin. Truth can only be found in Jesus because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He says that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So your search for truth is not Googleable. Is that a word? It's not just Google. You don't just Google truth. You don't look for somebody else's truth. Jesus, catch this, Jesus is truth. Jesus doesn't have truth. He is the truth. You want your Bible back. That was a good catch. But keep it precious. Okay. Jesus doesn't have truth. He is truth. Just God doesn't have love. God is love. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the way to know the truth isn't to know about Him. It's to know Him. It's epignosis. It's a personal, experiential knowledge with Him. Knowing Jesus is knowing truth. We need Him, not just His words. But we have to hold on to His teachings to know Him. I know that in a prophetic culture like we have, where we really want people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit, we've taught you how to hear from God for yourself and to be able to do what He says, the Shema, the hear and obey. It's a very important part of the Christian life. But can I tell you, that can never replace your own personal study and knowledge and application of the Word of God. And the danger sometimes in a culture like we have when, when, when I, and we've taught this, that whenever you're facing a major decision in life, the first question you should ask yourself is, what has God said? Like, what's the Spirit saying to me now? What is the Holy Spirit doing to me? Just as weighty and important is what is the Bible said. One does not replace the other. And I don't want to be a lazy Christian who just wants God to speak to me directly 
without actually realizing he's already spoken to me. And I've got to go discover it. There's this great passage in Scripture that says, it's to the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to dig it out, to discover it. There are some things that God hides for us in his word, not so that we won't find it. He hides it in his word so that we will find it. He's like the ultimate father at Easter hiding Easter eggs. When my kids were little and we hid Easter eggs, I'll be honest, it was my brother-in-law that did that because thank goodness he took on that job. But when we, when we hide Easter eggs, we don't, we don't hide them so that our kids won't find them. Like I don't win if my kids don't find the Easter eggs. We hide them in the most obvious of places. Maybe that's a shock for some of you parents. The gold dads was not to win, all right? But you hide them in the most obvious places because the joy they have when they find it and discover it and the joy you have when you see your kids find something that you hid for the very purpose of them discovering you fills your heart with joy. God will hide things in His Word not so that you won't find them, but so that you will. He wants you to discover them, but He wants, him, he wants you to put a little effort to it. That's how we put on the belt of truth. Every morning, put on the belt of truth. We had um, one of the recent tragedies in my house. Can you call them tragedies? Honestly, losing your AC last week was a tragedy. That was persecution of the highest order. I know some were burned at the stake and hung upside down and drawn and quartered and drowned, but my AC, that was persecution. That's all I want to say. That's modern-day American first-world persecution right there, right? <laughs> it's not. Uh, so... One of the other things that happened last week is our washing machine went out. <clears throat> and when you had kids in my house, oh my gosh, we got so much wash. That was persecution. So um, I'm being facetious. So our washing machine went out, and we got a new one that came in. That was my whole day, was just finding a new washing machine. And got our new washing machine in. And unfortunately, in the spin cycle, this thing shakes like you wouldn't believe. Brand new machine, and it shakes so violently. So I'm looking up, how do I make sure I haven't done something wrong? Are the shipping bolts removed? Yes, the shipping bolts are removed. And then they kept asking the question, the reason that uh, this washing machine usually shakes is because it's not level. So you need to make sure that it's level. Well, okay. Now, do you think I went out to my washing machine and went, look around my room, look at the walls, look at the dryer. Does it kind of look like the dryer? Because I'm assuming the dryer is level, so... I, kind of looks level to me. How many of you know that doesn't do much good? How many of you are in construction and are like, please? Norm has done, he has made a living off of people that built things with that in mind. Because everybody needs a norm. Because as soon as you do that, they, then you call Norm and he's like, he fixes those kinds of problems, right? Of people that just went, it looks level. I think it'll be good. The problem with things when they're not level, if you keep building on them, it just keeps getting more and more tilted, right? I think it looks level. I've made a career out of people who have taken their lives and gone, I think it looks level. I, th I think I can do that sin and get away with it. I think, I, think that's, I think the Bible says this. A career out of it sounds terrible, isn't it? Like I'm a career. Do I even have a career? I don't even know if it's a career. So Samsung, my washing machine company, said, you've got to make sure it's level. 
So I didn't eyeball it. Very simple. I went into my shed, and I got this thing right here. You ever seen one of these? And so I went up to my washing machine and went, boop, and went, the bubble is in the middle. Praise Jesus. Put it the other way. The bubble is in the middle. Because the bubble is in the middle, I know that my machine is level. Now send the technician to give me a new machine. It's not my fault. How many of you are glad when you call a technician, you're just glad it wasn't your fault? That's me. Okay. Norm, my machine's level. I don't want to live my life. I won't throw it at you this time. I don't want to live my life going, I think I'm doing okay. I don't want to live my life and go, yeah, I'm not sure what to do here, but everybody else is doing that. Like looking at the dryer. The dryer looks, I think it's level. It looks level, and it looks like the dryer, so it probably is. I don't want to live my life and go, well, they're planting a church this way, so I, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Or, you know, I, I, gosh, I, I, I guess it's okay. I want to go, God, I'm sorry. I need to use your level. And there's been moments where I thought I was doing great. And then I opened up my level and went, that bubble is not in the middle. And the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, your bubble's off. And the Word goes, yeah, your bubble's off. I don't walk away and go, I'm a terrible person. It's really easy. You just correct it. If that machine was unlevel, it's going to shock you. Just lift it up and unscrew the leg a little bit. I don't throw the whole machine out. Machine's not level. Give me one that's level. I just, I just fix it. Just unscrew the leg a little bit. Put the level back on. Boom. So when I open up the Word and the Word goes, oh, I'm supposed to forgive 70 times 7. I'm at 489. I got one more to go. I just correct it. Oh, I'm supposed to forgive again. Thank you. God, I forgive that person in Jesus' name. I open up my word and the areas that I thought I was okay in and the Holy Spirit illuminates what's in the word and goes, now just a little correction. Some people open up the word and they read something. I, I know pastors who do this. I know they read some things in the word. And it shows that their bubble is off. And do you know what they do? They just ignore it. Or they change it. That's not for today. That would be like me taking this and instead of changing the washing machine, trying to fix the level. This thing doesn't need fixing. And I promise you this doesn't need fixing. I need to fix. The adjustment needs to be made here. Not here and not here. I will not compromise the Word of God for the sake of my wokeness, for the sake of my tradition, for the sake of modern culture. I don't care if it's gone out of favor. I want God's favor, not the world's favor. Methods change all the time. We do need to change methods, but I won't compromise the Word of God. 
And if there's any challenge the church faces right now, it's to change this to fit a lopsided washing machine. And we won't do it. I won't do it. Because it's not going to get the washing machine to stop shaking. And I don't have to level my house. I just got to level the machine. And I don't have to throw the machine away. Just make a little adjustment. Your life with Christ is a constant, constant series of little adjustments. Any of you ever drive boats or ships? You ever try to drive a boat and hold your hands on the wheel and just stay straight? It doesn't work because the wind and the waves are constantly moving you. It's just constant little tiny course corrections as you go. It's the same thing in a car. My car, well, it's got this lane-keeping thing where it'll stay in the lane so I can technically let go of the wheel, but it knows and it tells on me. And it's like, put your hands on the wheel because it doesn't want to self-drive. And so I, I have to make a little adjustment to tell it that I'm still alive or awake. It's just, it's because there's always constant little corrections. Sometimes there are pretty big major corrections you've got to make in your life. But once you stay on track, just put the label on your own heart and go, God, are there any corrections that I need to make today? So then when you put on the belt of truth, it reveals any lies that you may have. So every morning that I wake up, I want to wake up and remind myself of who God says that I am. I just want to finish with this, because there's another one that I want to get to another week. One of the other weapons it says is to take up the sword of the Spirit. And I used to think, that's right. The sword of the Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is my sword. I'm going to pray in tongues. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to be led by the Spirit. Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit's going to tell me what to do. If I have any questions in my life, I'm led by the Spirit because I've submitted my life to Christ. I'm filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit's going to lead me because the Spirit is a sword. But that's not what the Scripture says. <laughs> it says, I think we got, oh yeah, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <laughs> what does this mean? The sword of the Spirit isn't the Spirit. It means that the Spirit has a sword. Do you see the difference? The Spirit is not a sword. The Spirit has a sword. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I know you guys knew this. I didn't. Forgive me. I have to read it and get off the VeggieTales version and the Clayton interpretation and go read it again and go, oh, that's right. The Bible is the Spirit's sword. So if I am going to be led by and moved by and filled with the Spirit, it has to coincide with the Word of God. I'm not just led by the Spirit without the Word. And if I try to lead my life, what about the Holy Spirit? Can't I just listen to God? You taught us how to hear from God for ourselves. Can't God just speak to me and then I'll know what to do because God speaks to me? Yes, but if you take the Word of God out of that equation, you disarm the Holy Spirit. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate the Word of God to us. It's the illumination of the Word. 
So when I step out in the Spirit, when, I, when I'm praying in tongues over the city, or I'm stepping into a hospital room with somebody that is on their deathbed, and I'm wanting to pray over them, I'm wanting to hear God for them, I'm also bringing the Word that's in me. If I'm holding on to His teachings, and I'm filled with the Spirit, then those two things work hand in hand. I have the Spirit in me, but the Spirit has a sword. So when the enemy comes to me with his lies, I'm putting on the belt of truth. That is, the belt of truth is my relationship with Jesus, and it's also the Word of God. That's why truth and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, go hand in hand. So I put on belt, the belt of truth in the morning. When I wake up and I put on truth, I go, Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit me together in my mother's womb. His eyes saw my unformed body before any of it came to me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before any of them ever happened. Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's the word that gets illuminated by the Spirit in me that becomes the weapon. So when the enemy comes at me with his lies and says, well, who are you? Who are you to pray for the sick? Who are you to think you're more special than anybody else? I put on His Word by the Spirit. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we shall be called children of God. And that's what we are. And the, word, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. I want to put this on every day. I'm really stirred this week to not just have a prolific prophetic church but to have a prolific word church to be a prolific word church I'm not wanting you to be a Bible scholar right now I'm not what I'm wanting you to do is to make yourself a student of God's word and I'm wanting you to hold fast to his teachings you can't hold fast to something you don't know yet. No one's going to beat you up because you can't memorize Scripture, verse, where it is, the cross-reference to that, seven different translations of it. I want to encourage you just to begin. Maybe start with Psalm 139, the one that I just mentioned. Just start to read that every morning. Now, I would encourage you to put it to memory. But don't say, I don't memorize, I don't know how to do it. Don't, don't try to just give your version of it like put on the belt of truth open it up in the morning Psalm 139 and read it over yourself as a prophetic act if you want to you can put it on like a belt I don't care but read it say God I'm going to hold fast to that teaching today you don't have to read seven chapters and go back and forth every day but you know what will happen I promise you if you're filled with the spirit and you start to read Psalm 139 and the Holy Spirit is going yes Yes, you won't want to put this thing down. There's been seasons in my life when I got busy and I started looking in here to find a message for the church. All right, God, let me go back to an old revelation and it'll be new to them. And he goes, okay, but I've missed you. And would you just discover what I've got in the word for you that you'll probably never preach? Would you let me preach to you? This is God telling me. 
And there's things that, for me, I've been in for 10 years. I don't know if God will ever let me preach, but the point of it was not to go in here to get a message to preach. The point was for me to put on the belt of truth, was to take up the sword of the Spirit, and I will answer the devil's schemes with this. When Jesus, when he was baptized, the Bible says the Spirit came on him like a dove and rested on him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you can be. And the Bible says the Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted for 40 days by the devil. That'll mess up your theology of where the Holy Spirit will lead you sometimes. Where's the green pastures and still waters? Where's the lying down and the... Oh, you thought the green pastures were external. Oh. Oh, you thought that when you got filled with the Spirit, that the devil was just going to go, Whoa, I'm out of here. He's about to get a pay raise. He's about to get a bigger house and a newer car. And No. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, sometimes the Spirit leads you into dry places. But not so that you'll become dry. He's not there to teach you a lesson. He's there to show you that what's in you. Makes the dead things come to life. This is where the dead things come to life. Because there is a river of living water flowing from you, flowing from me. That when I walk into the, my desert of temptation, and I walk into my desert of options, what's flowing in me makes dry places bloom. Deserts will bloom in the light of your love. But when he goes and he gets tempted by the devil, he doesn't go, I'm Jesus, go away. He picks up the sword of the Spirit. He's got the Spirit. He picks up the sword of the Spirit. And he doesn't just prophesy the devil out of the desert. He answers him with the Word of God. And he was the Word. The Word answers with Word. I just, that blows me away. Can you see that he set us an example to follow? You've got everything you need to answer the devil's schemes. So rivers of living water flowing from you. It's having the Spirit, but it's having the sword of the Spirit. And if you want to defeat the devil's schemes in your life, put on your belt of truth. I encourage you these next couple of mornings, I don't care what time you get up, but get up in time enough just to read God's Word out loud over yourself. It's a love letter to you from God, but it's a weapon against the schemes of the enemy. Can we pray? Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.